from the epistle of Paul. Christ was raised so we might walk in newness of life. I speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today I'd like to leave you with a simple but profound question. Think about this. What if God's dream for us is much more than our dream for ourselves? What if God's dream for us is much more than our dream for ourselves? Now, today's gospel gives me a little pause. I had, a, I had to do a, a double take when I read the gospel over this past week. When Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. What does Jesus mean? Particularly in what the gospel writer continues to write in the voice of Jesus, quoting from the book of Micah. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, One's foes will be members of one's household. Now, if we reflect on the history of our great nation, painful memories of being divided does not seem in consonance with the message of peace that we receive holistically in the gospel. But it's pretty much what we read about in today's gospel. Whether it's William Franklin, you know, the loyalist who conspired against his father, Benjamin Franklin, the revolutionary, the strife in the Civil War, traumatized troops coming back from Vietnam who were greeted by jeers, divisions about whom one has voted for, denominations and church structures that have fallen so much, fallen so much astray, from the pure intent of community, perhaps the gospel is speaking to us today. On a superficial read, this gospel seems to justify the sword rather than peace. But, my friends, there is a wider context. St. Matthew, remember, writes after many years following the resurrection. He is interpreting Jesus' words for the purpose of ministering to the local church. And one fundamental reality of the local church is that in the midst of their families, while they are united by blood and by tribe, they are divided because some of them acknowledged the lordship of Jesus Christ over their lives, while others did not. And so, to those first century Christians, Matthew is reassuring them that their confession on the Lordship of Christ will cause division and unsettle the status quo by upending relationships. But the gospel promise, he continues, is that a new family will be forged whose purpose will not be the glorification of one tribe over another, but whose glorification, whose glory is a new way of being in the world. 
For, Jesus continues, those who lose their life for my sake, let's do some commentary on that, for the sake of confessing Christ as Lord, for the sake of love that knows no boundaries, for the sake of an all-encompassing recognition of the humanity of all people, regardless of color, caste, gender, or creed, for those who lose that their life for my sake, they will find it. Jesus is offering us a way to reframe the way we live in the world, to think bigger than the moment, bigger than our tribe, to think beyond ourselves. It is an invitation to move beyond a tribal mindset or tunnel vision into a holistic vision of life inaugurated by Christ's Lordship. And so my question is, what if God's dream for us, for the world, for the church, is much bigger than our dream for ourselves? Take a look at the first lesson today. Our first lesson is from the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah lived and prophesied at one of the most pivotal junctures of the kingdom of Judah. God set apart Jeremiah to be his spokesman, to call the southern kingdom to repentance and obedience. And during a difficult time, during the midst of all these times, Jeremiah was steadfast in his faithfulness to God. He was a priest from a totally insignificant city, from a totally insignificant tribe. He was not royalty. In fact, he was someone who did not like the limelight. He avoided it at all costs. He saw himself as incapable of unworthy to speak to kings and nations. And so Jeremiah cried out to God in a moment of experiencing deep humiliation and ridicule from the people of Judah because they saw him as a false prophet and a traitor. They made him a laughingstock. But God used Jeremiah. While Jeremiah didn't see himself as capable, God supplied every need Jeremiah had because God called Jeremiah to do his mission. For God's dream for Jeremiah was much bigger than Jeremiah's dream for himself. God used Jeremiah to proclaim hope to a nation that has fallen prey to a sense of doom and gloom. You know, throughout Scripture, we read about many separations. One image that, that I hold dear is the image of the winnowing fork that separates the wheat from the chaff. We read that in Matthew's Gospel. What if God's dream draws on this image and divides what is authentic from what is fake? What if God's desire for each and every one of us sitting here is to use us like he used Jeremiah for God's purpose on this earth. In this, there's a separation of a false sense of peace that's satisfied with the status quo, a status quo that disempowers agency in order for an authentic life rooted in the peace of God that passes all understanding, 
that is rooted in God's understanding of mercy and justice. When we think about God's mercy, there is a sermon from Jeremy, from Jeremy Taylor that, that I recall. And I just want to read some of these words for you because maybe this can, can give us a holistic understanding about the depth of mercy. Taylor wrote in 1653, God's mercies are more than we can tell. They're more than we can feel. For in this world, in the midst of the deep abyss, the divine mercies of God flows in us as if we were at the bottom of the sea where we experience waters that run over our head, totally insensible, totally unperceivable. And yet the weight of God's mercy, which is so vast, which is beyond compare, calls us to a new life a new way of being. We are not pressed into this with a burden, but we are called to show the light to this mercy. We are called to get to that place where mercy becomes a reality, where mercy is experienced in all of creation. So perhaps the question to each and every one of us is how do we get to that place? the place of God's dream for the world, for each and every one of us. Perhaps it doesn't come easy. Perhaps it's through a lot of struggle, a lot of toil, and a lot of snares. Writer Gregory Thompson told me a story that I'd like to share with you. The story is about a young 27-year-old preacher who was a fabulous preacher. One day he was preaching, yet he did not have his game face on. There was something within himself that was experiencing such sadness. It was unexplainable. After leaving the pulpit, word came from one of his best friends that his house had been bombed. The preacher, gathering all the inner calm that he could muster, told the congregation what had happened and dismissed them and told them, go home, go home in peace. Yet congregations being what they are, they didn't obey. They didn't go home. They left the sanctuary to go to that young preacher's house some of them went to their own homes to grab, to grab something. Soon, several hundred of those folks, armed with sticks, knives, and guns, descended on the young preacher's front lawn. They were angry. And then they saw that they were now being barricaded by the police. And then they began to see the police as also complicit in the bombing. While the preacher's wife and baby girl were physically unharmed, the front side of this home lay in complete shambles and destruction. 
And the young preacher, seeing that this crowd was growing larger and larger by the minute, stepped outside into the dead of the night and started with his preaching voice. Everything is all right. Don't get panicky. Don't do anything panicky. Don't get your weapons. If you have weapons, take them home. For he who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. Remember, that is what our Lord Jesus said. For we do not advocate violence. We want to love our enemies. I want you to love your enemy. Be good to them. That is the creed we must live by. We must meet hate with love. Friends, what was happening that night was Dr. Martin Luther King, that young 27-year-old preacher, being pastoral not only to the crowd, but being pastoral to those who perpetuated the violence by showing mercy, by showing the path of God's love, of redemptive love rooted in Jesus. It was Dr. Martin Luther King demonstrating what God's dream is for this world on behalf of God to a broken nation. It was an act of mercy. The reality is, in our fallen nature, sometimes we are lured by the apple that's in front of us, the need for retribution, for anger, for an immediate response based on anger that comes out. We dream of an immediate solution and retribution, but, beloved, God's dream is much larger. It's a dream where the lion and the lamb dwell together, a restored Eden where the barriers that divide us are removed. The question that I asked is not only about a social vision rooted in the gospel of Christ, but it's also about a personal vision for your life. What do you dream for yourself as a Christian? What do you dream for yourself as an individual? Are your dreams centered on the fleeting idols of this world, on money for money's sake, on power for power's sake, on beauty for beauty's sake? Or is it rooted in God's dream for you? What is your dream? What is God's dream for you? My beloved sisters and brothers in Christ, my prayer for all of us as a community, for us as individuals, is that we may ask God, God, what is your dream for me? What is your dream for this parish? What is your dream for that world? And may God grant us the cognition and the grace to follow that dream.